for three days over a long weekend. The monks agreed to this compromise, understanding that circumstances are different here. Taiwan's government actually paid for the ordination ceremony in the end. The National Immigration Agency has a make-a-wish type plan for immigrants, and it grants funding to plans it deems worthwhile and feasible. Ms. Zhang, seeing how much the ceremonies would set her back, decided to apply. The result? Her eldest son, just as she dreamed when she first had him, got a taste of a typical Burmese kid's brief stint as a monk. Ms. Zhang and her fellow Burmese Taiwanese are without question fully integrated into Taiwan society, but they're also deeply proud of their roots, and with their language and culture still very much intact, they've managed to carve out a special place into a society that's becoming ever more diverse. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and again, I'm with David Ho. But this time, we've got uh, his two daughters. There's Claire Ho and then Tiffany Ho. And um, David is the author of a book called Z Generation. Well, it's, that's not the name of the title, but anyway, um, it's about the Z Generation. It means that the people who were born in the 90s, it's talking about how to keep the talents of the 90s, of the people in the 90s who specialized in office design, right? Right, right. exactly. Okay, anyway, well, um, I think it would be very interesting to be able to have um, Claire and Tiffany with us because they were born in the 90s. So? Actually, technically, technically not. Technically, but, yeah. Actually, it's after 2000. After 2000. Oh. That's also Z generation. Well, I'm sure that uh, Claire and Tiffany have looked at your dad's awesome creation here. You know, it spent him eight years researching and four years writing this book. Um, I think one thing that I agree with is that he says um, in the book that, like, the bosses born after the 90s are more like relaxation areas are like bigger than their authority spaces i think he said that somewhere i think that shows like the sort the sort of characteristic of people born after the 90s it's just we're more at ease of ourselves i think compared to those before the 90s mm -hmm. tiffany what do you think uh, well, one thing my dad talked about, uh, about the characteristics of the people born after the 90s was about how, like, we really like to express ourselves, right, especially, and I feel like, in part, that's also due to um, the rise of, like, technology and social media, and on social media, you know, we're, like, constantly 24-7 expressing ourselves, you know, like, posting about where we're at, you know, what we did today, and I feel like, not only through social media, but like we wish to express ourselves through like the space around us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what my dad brings to office design. Like he helps 90s kids express themselves better in office space. Mm -hmm. oh. That's because they are Z generation because they don't read, but they read <laughs> from the mobile. They don't read. <laughs> of course. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Oh, by the way, I forgot to have you guys introduce yourself. I'm Tiffany, I'm 18 years old, and I'm a university student at University of the Arts London. And I'm Claire, I'm 20 years old, and I'm in the same university. Right, except you've already spent a year at the uh, university, yeah. sort of, well, if it weren't for the COVID. So, um, yeah, like for example, you know, there was, I've always wondered, um, there's something that uh, your dad wrote in here that 
it seems like young people don't mind spending lots of money in like expensive, really high class restaurants. And I was very amazed about that. And I realized that, you know, when your dad put this in here, I see why. Because in the past, you know, you have mm. to agree. It says, which means, you know, like uh, go through hardship first before you can enjoy mm. life. Okay, but it seems like the thing is opposite. It's like totally reversed now. Do you agree? Not that I'm saying that you guys spend a lot of money on food, <laughs> but, but you know, just in general. I feel like we take the highs of the lows. Like we're not always focused on, oh, we have to struggle. And then that's after, only after the struggle, we can enjoy the good parts. Like for me, when I'm studying, I don't think like, okay, I have to finish. Like I have to finish studying. And then only after that, I can like hang out with my friends and do the things I actually like. It's rather like, okay, like I know I can study and then hang out with my friends. And I won't feel stressed when I'm hanging out with them because I know like I've got the self-control to finish that studying part later. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's but you different do... from our generation. I know it's different. Yeah, yeah. We need to study in the first place. Right, before After we study, can have fun. And there comes more studies, <laughs> more studies. And then finally we got little, little time to relax. I know. It's like, that's why there's cram schools in Taiwan, right? And in China and anyway, so, <laughs> and Singapore probably. But yeah, okay, so wait a minute. You mean that you guys didn't go through cram school? Like the school after school, school not, after normal school? Not really. Not really, right? Basically not at all. I know. Yeah. Well, our kids do. But anyway, that's the <laughs> point. But you do take responsibility. Like, you would finish your homework no matter what time it is, but you know, and you want your parents to trust you in that, right? But you, you also want to make sure that you enjoy life just as much as, you know, you put effort into your studies. Claire, what do you think? Um, I, I don't know, really, because I, I, I know a lot of friends that also procrastinate, like, really hard. Like, they'll do an essay, like, the night before it's due. But me personally, I don't like to do that because like if I'm, you know, uh, playing video games, I don't want this tiny little voice in the back of my head going like, hey, you still got like this unfinished essay or something. So I like to do my stuff first and then I can like really totally focus enjoy. on like playing video games. Yeah. yeah. David, uh -huh. I was just thinking, what kind of things has been most difficult to communicate with your daughters? And how did you overcome those problems together? I don't think we have quite some issues that we couldn't, couldn't talk or couldn't have a conversation. Oh, good for you. Maybe that's my point. <laughs> how about you? I don't think so. Yeah. Like, one of the things that I think, and I think I also speak for Tiffany here is that we're very grateful that our dad is easy to talk to. And he's like reasonable. So that's one of the reasons why it's easy to communicate with him. Thank you very much. <laughs> I can see why, yeah. Knowing, knowing your dad, okay. What about Tiffany? In the same position as Claire, I guess. Like it's always been easy to communicate with my dad about like what we want and what he wants. And because he's so willing to compromise for us, we're more willing to compromise for him. Oh, really? So I feel like, like it works both ways. Okay. Can you guys give an example? Both my parents have been more relaxed about like us going out or staying out later. So our curfew basically is like, as we grow up, it's like pushed farther back. Uh -huh. And that's one of the things that's been like easy for us to compromise right. about. That's, yeah. that's something you appreciate about your dad, right? But like yeah. we still had to negotiate for that curfew. Yeah. <laughs> like they didn't just let us have it. No, we had to like communicate with them. Yeah. We had to negotiate. We had to make our own points. Right. And then like, so how did it go? 
Can you can, can you recall? But like for example, like in seventh grade, our curfew was like 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. That's actually like pretty early. Like compared to now, like I can come home at like 2 a.m. and that would be fine. Ooh, right okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. that's okay. Oh, like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think like because like we're all grown up, and on top of that, Taiwan's like actually a really safe country. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like even if we were just to go out alone at night, like. The odds of us getting like harmed or attacked are like super low, mm-hmm. and I feel like like they're reasonable enough to understand that, and they're like they understand that we've also grown up in the process of like ninth grade to twelfth grade to now college. It's nice that they understand that. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Now you both are kind of like studying in the field of design. What's the mentality of people in your generation, in your age group, about design? I mean, looking at design and compared to the design studies of our generation or even older, what do you see? What do you compare as a difference? What kind of design or ideas jump out at you? I feel like how design is different, like than compared to now. It's it's not just about design anymore. Like before, it was like okay, you design a logo, it's just a logo. But right now, you have to think about. How that logo fits onto their company's website, and how you would perhaps like animate that logo to pop up when you visit their website. So it's not just about pure traditional design. It's also about how design like merges with technology, and how the two can actually work together to create something that's more than design. I guess like how um, in my dad's book it says like he uses design as a way to make the 90s generation feel more comfortable about their surroundings, and like it can help them with their like. Work productivity and stuff like mm. that's just not about design anymore. It's about design and lifestyle. Mm. So yeah. I feel like right now, in terms of design technology, it's much more than it used to be. I guess yeah, that's how I feel about design. Okay. Yeah, Claire, what do you think? Um, but I think for our generation, maybe for some people, like if they're de- designing something. Our generation has more of a tendency to add their own like characteristic traits into whatever they're designing, whereas before they would just do whatever their client asked them to. Right. But right now, I feel like uh, artists would have they they like they like they add their own sort of background into it. They give it a little bit of their like their own experience. Well, I can't imagine. That's why I'm not good in design. I'll never get into design. You know. I'm always like really amazed at people like how you come up with designs that you do for our spaces mm. and all different colors and of course there's one particular one I'm thinking right now it's more like a science fiction mm. kind of a UFO kind of smack in the middle of the office space <laughs> I'm thinking of that one now was that what the client wanted Yeah it is it is, it is? It he is, wants something yeah. futuristic bring the team into the future yeah That's what you do you uh, I was just going to say you think ahead About 90s, the Z generation. That's why you understand them so so better, or not just you, but you know Z generation people so well. My conviction is that there'll always be generation gap from the kids to the parents, right? So how do you guys work through a generation gap? These kind of issues with the parents, or even like for you, David, to come to this realization that no matter what you say, no matter what we say, they're not going to totally. Agree or agree, yeah. understand what we're saying because they are totally in their own world. And but it's really more learning to respect each other. Like the first thing that comes to mind yes. is between Claire and like my parents, like about her video games. Okay. 
do you want to tell them about it? <laughs> um, Put you on the spot. <laughs> I think, yeah, like Tiffany said, video games, because um, growing up, my parents didn't, or like the older generation, they didn't have the sort of stuff called like online video games where you would play with other people in real time. And that's the sort of stuff where it's like you can't pause. You can't just like, you know, pause the game and go do whatever you have to do. If you like pause, it doesn't, it just pauses it for you, but like it, other people are still playing. So, you know, you still get like killed or whatever. But that was one of the things where it took me multiple times to get through to my parents. Cause like maybe my mom or my dad would ask me to like go do laundry or something. Yeah. But I was in the middle of a game and I couldn't leave. Cause if you leave, then it's like you, you die. Yeah. And you know, you're. Uh, your team loses a teammate, yeah. and that could be critical to the game. So then how did you work through it? I mean, how did you guys come to a compromise? Do laundry at 2 a.m.? <laughs> no, I usually just go and do it and let myself be killed because I didn't want to risk the wrath of my mother. You know, if, oh, I want, okay. if I want to ask them to do something, now I, I will say this, hey, Claire, I want you to do this after half an hour after right. 20 minutes after you stop your game, after right. you finish your game. She about, oh, okay. That works, right? Mm -hmm. One last thing. What do you guys like most about your dad? Like we've already talked about the compromise and the communication. I think that's already like one really good thing. But like another aspect I really admire about him, I guess, is his, I wouldn't say creativity, but like his open-mindedness mm. and I mean this is connected to like compromise and communication and whatever like when we were young we would ask questions about the world like oh why is the sky blue why is the ocean blue why is the grass green and like one time we were on a train right and then we were looking out the window and there were all these telephone poles and we asked him like hey dad like why are all these telephone poles out there because like we didn't really have that concept of like telephone lines and um, yeah, revealing lines right? yeah yeah, yeah. Out yeah. In the open, yeah so we asked him that and then he told us oh those are the toothpicks of giants and like he told <laughs> us like they use those toothpicks and then they stuck it in the ground and that's why there are telephone poles and we thought like yo that's super cool you know <laughs> so then every time now when i see a telephone pole like i actually think about that really and like there are also many other instances of like where we would ask this really normal question and we'd get this bizarre answer back. And then I feel like it helped us a lot, like ourselves developing our own creativity and open-mindedness. So your dad has a real unique sense of humor here, okay. Claire, is there anything that you really like about your dad, anything in particular? Um, I think uh, one of the things is his patience. Like I know growing up, like this probably goes the same uh, for like all teenagers growing up, but like when you reach that like age of like 14, when you're starting to like turning into a preteen, going to a teenager phase, like that's when, you know, kids start to be really difficult to deal with. Yes, rebellious. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I feel like my dad was very patient, like compared to how we were as when we were preteens, he was very patient when dealing with us. And I'm very thankful for that. Last thing, any advice you want to give to your daughters about their future? Just go chasing your, your dream to fulfill your dream. Cause you know, that's easy you. said than done. <laughs> <laughs> but you really do mean it, right? Uh, yeah, I mean it, because uh, the world is yours. Thank you so very much, David and Claire and Tiffany. Thank you. Sir. Thank you so much for making time. It's been a lot of fun chatting to all of you.
classic shorts, poems, and stories from Chinese literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Today we're going to hear the autumn meditations of the great Tang Dynasty poet, Du Fu. The latter years of his life were full of unrest due to the Anlusan Rebellion. In the spring of 765, Du Fu and his family sailed down the Yangtze River. He was in ill health and he stayed in Chongqing at the entrance to the Three Gorges for almost two years. And during this time, he wrote his last collection of poems, 400 of them. And one series is known as the Autumn Meditations. Meditation 1. Jade dew withers and wounds the groves of maple trees. On Wu Mountain, in Wu Gorge, the air is dull and drear. On the river, surging waves rise to meet the sky. Above the past wind and cloud join the earth with darkness. Chrysanthemum bushes open twice, weeping for their days. A lonely boat, a single line. My heart is full of home. Winter clothes everywhere are urgently cut and measured. Bidey's hung above, the evenings driven by beating on stones. On a meditation two, over Guizhou's lonely wall, the setting sun slants. Every day I follow the plow to look to the capital city. I hear an ape. The third call really makes tears fall. Undertaking a mission, in vain I follow the eighth-month raft. The muraled ministry's incense stove is far from my hidden pillow. The mountain tower's white battlements hide the sad reed flutes. Just look at the moonlight on the creepers that cover the stones. Already in front of the islet, the rushes and reed flowers shine. Meditation 3, a mountain suburb of a thousand homes in the quiet morning light. All day I sit by the river in my tower on the green hill. For two nights the fishermen have stayed there floating, floating. In the clear autumn still the swallows fly and fly. Kwanghen submitted memorials. I've won little praise. Liu Xiang passed on the classics. My wishes are not realized. The schoolmates of my early years, mostly, are not poor. In the five tomb towns, their furs and horses, light 
and fat. And the last meditation for today, Autumn Meditation 4. I've heard them say that Chang'an seems like in a game of chess. A hundred years of world events have caused unbearable pain. The palaces of the noblemen all have their new masters. Civil and military dress and caps are not like those before. Straight north over mountain passes, gongs and drums ring out. Conquering the West, carts and horses, feather-hurried dispatches. The fish and dragons are still and silent, the autumn river cold. A peaceful life in my homeland, always in my thoughts. Those are the meditations of the famous Tang Dynasty poet, Du Fu. While the Tang Dynasty was in great upheaval due to the Anlusan Rebellion. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Dinner is served. Join Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu as they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew, I thought we said no more intestines. <clears throat> That's on Feast Meets West every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International, radio for refined palates. You're listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, your program host. A Reuters report says the White House has approved three new arms packages, including offensive weapons, for Taiwan and has sent them to Congress for approval. They include anti-ship harpoon missiles, rocket launchers, and drones. One harpoon missile can sink a ship. A Reuters report says the U.S. has sent three arms packages for Taiwan to Congress for approval. These include harpoon anti-ship missiles and MQ-9 drones. Military experts on G-1 says the missiles can help Taiwan defend and dominate the Taiwan Strait. MQ-9 drones can be used in conjunction with P-3 Orion aircraft to monitor the surrounding seas for a longer period of time. The Reuters reports that the White House has already approved the three arms packages. 
They include external sensor pods for F-16 jets and a truck-based rocket launcher called HIMARS that could attack China's coast, and long-range Harpoon anti-ship missiles called SLAM-ER. This package differs from past packages in that it includes offensive weapons, meaning that Taiwan could use them to attack. Sung says as for the U.S.'s Indo-Pacific strategy, as long as the offensive weapons are limited, they're in line with U.S. interests. There's already an imbalance of military power in the Taiwan Strait, so passive defense weapons cannot meet Taiwan's defense needs. Reports cite a total of seven U.S. arms packages in store for Taiwan. The defense ministry says it will report on the packages once they've been approved. Natalie So, RTI News. This year, the Air Force has already spent over 4.1 billion Taiwan dollars sending warplanes to intercept Chinese military aircraft entering Taiwan's airspace. Earlier this month, President Tsai Ing-wen said Taiwan will not give up an inch of its territory. She was speaking during an inspection tour of an Air Force unit. Five eighty-three jet trainers fly information over the presidential office on Tuesday in preparation for the National Day celebrations. Helicopters fly overhead, showcasing the national flag as well. The display is a demonstration of Taiwan's determination to defend itself. Chinese aircraft have been entering Taiwan's airspace at an alarming rate. The Navy has dispatched boats more than 7,500 times this year. That's 1,600 more times than last year. The Air Force has also deployed planes 2.3 times more than it did last year. These flights have cost nearly 140 million U.S. dollars this year. Premier Su Jianchang says with the Chinese war plans nearing Taiwan, these costs are necessary to protect Taiwan's national security. Military expert Zhang Jiwen urged the military to strike a balance between national security and the economy, perhaps by including the Navy in its maneuvers. In any case, Taiwan's Air Force is standing by for any situation. A Taiwanese man named Li Mengju disappeared in China in August of last year. Now he has resurfaced in the video released by Chinese authorities. Li says that he was a spy working on behalf of Taiwan. But authorities in Taiwan say that's not true. Li Mengju was a local government consultant in Taiwan's southernmost Pingdong County. He disappeared on August 20, 2019 in Shenzhen, China. The following month, Chinese officials said that he had been detained on suspicion of undermining China's national security. But there was no further news about Li for more than a year. This week, China released a video of him saying he's a spy and that he was conned into going to China by Chen Yaling, the head of the township where Li worked. Chen says that Li was speaking under duress. Chen says that such ploys by the Chinese government play out like a joke in Taiwan. He says that if Li really was conned into going to China, then authorities there should just let him return. Meanwhile, Interior Minister Xu Guoyong says that the Mainland Affairs Council will handle Li's case. For Li's family, the video is the first time they've seen him alive since his disappearance. It's a relief, but now the concern is whether they can secure his return. Leslie Liao, RTI News. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound.
a final batch of Black Hawk helicopters for use in rescue missions, has arrived in the southern city of Kaohsiung. At midnight on Thursday, six Black Hawk helicopters were hauled from Kaohsiung's harbor side to a hangar. For military buff, it was a spectacle to behold. It took about 200 people three hours to move the helicopters to the hangar. An official with the National Airborne Service Corps, Zhen Rongfeng, says that despite the workload involved, moving the helicopters into the hangars has its advantages, in particular, reducing the risk of damage from typhoons. Zhen said the six helicopters are equipped with thermal imaging that can detect body temperatures, which makes rescue work a lot quicker. The culture ministry has spent several years putting together a collection of Taiwanese culture assets to show to the world. The collection's website officially went online last week. The Taiwan Cultural Memory Bank, a website showcasing Taiwanese cultural assets, is officially going online on October 17th. This choice of date is not a coincidence. October 17th is the day the culture ministry has designated Taiwan Culture Day. The bank contains 2.7 million records of materials on Taiwan's tangible and intangible cultural assets. The project has been made possible through the combined effort of various government ministries, city and county governments, civic groups, and museums under the jurisdiction of the culture ministry. You can visit the website and learn about everything from traditional glove puppetry to traditional artisans, and watch videos of artists at work too. You can also find materials on renowned cartoonists, religious traditions and folklore, and recorded memories of the martial law period. The culture ministry says it hopes that the world gets to know Taiwan through its rich cultural assets with the help of technology. Shirley Lin, RTI News. There are many ways to conduct diplomacy, but the food-obsessed Taiwan makes sure to include what you might call seafood diplomacy in its diplomatic arsenal. Over the past three years, the foreign ministry and Taiwan's External Trade Council have teamed up to work on securing buyers for seafood from Taiwan's Central American allies. King prawns and rock lobsters may not seem like obvious foreign policy tools, but for Taiwan, they're tools that work just fine. The island nation is obsessed with seafood, so buying up seafood from diplomatic allies is a natural way of boosting ties while making sure the appetites of Taiwanese diners are satisfied. This is the third year that the foreign ministry and TITRA, Taiwan's foreign trade organization, have put together a team to purchase seafood from allies in Central America. Guatemala, Belize, Honduras, and Nicaragua all maintain formal relations with Taiwan, and their seafood industries are reaping the benefits this year in particular. The Foreign Ministry Taitra team consists of nine Taiwanese importers, and they've just struck a deal to buy up 31 million U.S. dollars worth of seafood from these allied nations. Not that Taiwanese companies need encouragement to buy. From January to September, sales of Central American seafood in Taiwan jumped 20% over the same period last year. Needless to say, expectations for future sales are high. John Van Trieste, RTI News. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. I hope you have enjoyed listening to our show today. For any comments or suggestions, you may write to rti at rti.org.tw. 
for Radio Taiwan International. I'm Paula Chow. Bye-bye. All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. If you are not uh, invited as a guest, it's better that you shouldn't be presented. But the diplomatic accident happened in Fiji. That's uh, really unbelievable. Maybe uh, that's because of the two uh, officials. They were under instruction from their uh, superior, so they w- want to have a list of the participants. Hello and welcome to this week's On the Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. On October 8th, two Chinese officials from the PRC embassy in Fiji went to Taiwan's National Day reception uninvited and harassed the guests by taking pictures. Violence ensued after they were asked to leave by Taiwanese officials and a Taiwanese diplomat was sent to hospital with a head injury. Has similar situation happened in ROC Taiwan embassies and representative offices in other countries? Today we speak with a seasoned diplomat, Ambassador Michelle Lu Qinglong. Ambassador Lu started his career in diplomacy in 1976 and had been posted in the Netherlands, Haiti, Geneva, Switzerland and France. Ambassador Lu, two Chinese officials from the PRC embassy in Fiji went to Taiwan's National Day reception uninvited and harassed the guests by taking pictures of them. They were then asked to leave by the uh, Taiwanese officials. A fight broke out and a Taiwanese official was hurt by the PRC official. Now first, Ambassador Lu, why did the Chinese officials, do you think, come to the event uninvited? Well, it is not a joke, certainly. Uh, it is uh, really unbelievable. For me, a guest, if you are not uh, invited as a guest, that means uh, somebody uninvited and then wanted uh, to force to uh, participate in the reception, we must say, uh, very sorry to use this term, uh, uncivilized. Uh, especially when uh, it is uh, our national day, there is no reason that... Uh, if you are not on the guest, then uh, it's better that you shouldn't be presented. But the diplomatic accident happened in Fiji. That's uh, really unbelievable. Maybe uh, that's because of some uh, those two officials. They were under instruction from their uh, superior, so they w- want to have a list of the participants, guests, and then they would like to do uh, something to in order that they can report to Beijing, to their Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, saying, well, you see, I did do something uh, in favor of uh, the image of China. Uh, it could be an accident because uh, body language has been served. And then, uh, you know, at the beginning, even the uh, embassy of uh, PRC in Fiji, they accused uh, that Taiwanese diplomat, they beat them. 
hit them. Actually, it was uh, not <laughs> the uh, reality. Uh, it, uh, according to the uh, detailed uh, information, China withdraw such accusation, and then the uh, public service in uh, Fiji they say, okay, in the future, if uh, our embassy, uh, no, our representative office organizes certain public uh, activities, they will take care of uh, public orders. Uh, Something like that. So uh, this could be, uh, say, uh, ended as uh, for time being. But fundamentally speaking, we can try to understand. Maybe you know, uh, since uh, the states there is a fifth plenary session in Beijing, so the sector of diplomats or foreign service they would like to show something uh, to uh, their chief of state by saying, well, you see, uh, on the diplomatic sector we try uh, to do something uh, concretely. Uh, try to squeeze the space of Taiwan, and uh, not just only in PC. We remember not long ago that Wang Yi has been, uh, you know, touring in Europe, and then has been also uh, echoed very negatively. That uh, makes China lost a lot of our faces. This is why could be huh, one of the reasons that they want to show. Yes, I'm doing something. Uh, positively in favor of a Chinese uh, image in the world. But actually, the result was really very, very negative. Now, PRC Foreign Ministry spokesperson Zhao Lijian said the event held by Taiwan is a violation of One China policy. <laughs> so there's no so-called Taiwan diplomats in Fiji. And they asked the government of uh, Fiji to investigate. First, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Ambassador, they filed a complaint to the foreign ministry but then they withdrew the accusation that Taiwan diplomat hit the Beijing diplomat. Now, would you say the statement made by the PRC foreign ministry is just irrational? Uh, it's uh, worse than irrational. You know, today, uh, facing the globalization, all the countries try to improve the substantial relations with any countries in the world. This is why, if uh, diplomatically speaking, that Taiwan didn't maintain uh, embassy in Fiji, but it doesn't mean that uh, you know both countries, uh, both sides, didn't uh, pay attention, uh, deplore their uh, necessary efforts to uh, improve the bilateral relations. And then the people, this diplomat, this men, this uh, you know ladies or gentlemen assigned by uh, the government and sent to, for example, to Paris or to Washington, D.C., what they are doing are just, uh, you know, like all the missions uh, entrusted by the government for the diplomatic service. For example, when I was in France, but I was not uh, uh, called the officially ambassador of the Republic of China to uh, France because that's not diplomatic relations, but I... And certainly respected as chief of mission, as ambassador, because just only the appellation, number one. And secondly, the people who are in charge of uh, diplomatic service or foreign services, certainly they, on one hand, uh, in Taipei, for example, they have been recruited officially, uh, working at the headquarters of uh, foreign service in MOFA, assigned by the government to work in Paris or in Washington or even in Fiji. Certainly, they are diplomats. And then uh, Chinese people, especially Mr. Zhao, uh, he dares, uh, you know, uh, denied uh, totally, uh, no, there is no diplomat. That means uh, 
uh, he didn't say, he didn't know what he was saying, what he was uh, criticizing. Actually, uh, as I, once again, I would like to uh, mention that uh, such kind of uh, words are really contradictory. If uh, the people sent by Taiwanese government, don't forget that our office has been accepted and certainly legalized to be a functioning in Fiji. It is an official representative office over there. And how dare you say that the people working in Fiji because there is no uh, embassy, so there is no uh, diplomacy. And on the other hand, uh, Mr. Zhao insists that uh, oh, violating the one-China policy. But well, one-China policy is uh, you impose without any consensus, without any acceptance of Taiwanese people. And how dare you say that uh, under uh, this one-China policy, uh, there is no uh, diplomacy? And then if uh, we were not existing in your eyes, how and why you should uh, you know, try uh, your all the best uh, to hit Taiwan, to kick Taiwan out? So it's a logic, very uh, counterproductive. You're listening to On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong, and today I'm speaking with Ambassador Michelle Lu Qinglong, a seasoned diplomat. Ambassador Lu currently serves as the Director of Association of Foreign Relations. It is said that the uh, Chinese embassy officials have been instructed to go to all Taiwanese events uninvited, take pictures of the local government officials who attend the event as a way to threat the local government ministers and congressmen not to support Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were in France serving as the ambassador of Taiwan, had that been the case? Oh, well, uh, it's not a uh, secret. Huh? <laughs> I can say that. In uh, France, for example, in different uh, European countries or even in the, in the States, you know, there is a Taiwan caucus. There is also a friendship uh, group between Taiwan and France or between Taiwan and Belgium. Uh, such existence of a so-called friendship association or friendship group certainly are functioning to promote a better understanding, mutual understanding between the hosting countries and Taiwan uh, Republic of China. Uh, their mission is very simple, just to improve the mutual understanding. No understanding, no cooperation in the future. So just for the exchanges of uh, different uh, personality uh, on different sectors. In France, well, according to my uh, impression, I have been uh, in France three times in total 16 years. I have never seen such kind of uh, so-called diplomatic accident like we see in Fiji, never. It doesn't mean that the Chinese embassy, they didn't follow what we were doing. Actually, as we know, and then it is quite logical, some of our friends, they say, well, I'm friend of China, I'm friend of Taiwan too. So probably somebody will be uh, requested uh, by Chinese embassy to see who would have been presented in our uh, National Day reception. Uh, each year, for example, in Paris, we organize only in Paris. In France, totally it's 11 receptions, different cities. In Paris, we organize three receptions. Certainly, uh, for overseas Chinese, uh, it's uh, even uh, up to uh, 1,000 people per presented. And then for foreign friends, it's uh, between three and 400. For the students, uh, between three and 400. What we have organized should be, uh, well, um, I don't know by what means, transmitted by the embassy of the PRC in Paris or in somewhere. 
Uh, no doubt, because we know what they are carrying, uh, most of their energy, they paying attention to what Taiwanese people or Taiwanese diplomats are doing. But actually, it's useless, because for me, when I was in Paris, uh, during the uh, uh, reception, I all, all the time, uh, each year, I gave us about 30 minutes of presentation to introduce the, the bilateral relations with Taiwan and France and the uh, closer trade relations and Taiwan's effort to join the uh, international uh, organization, something like that. Very informative, very interesting, certainly. So uh, we don't need to uh, blame, to accuse, to criticize the men in China. No, it's not our mission. It's not our interest. This is why uh, such kind of uh, so-called behavior well, have never been happened when I was in Paris. Uh, last week, we met one of uh, overseas uh, Taiwanese businessmen. She came back to Taiwan. She told us, well, actually, it's not by first time that the Chinese officials harassed our reception. Each year, they send people there. But this year, they even hit our people. That's really unacceptable. For example, recently, Taiwan Foreign Minister received an interview by a local news anchor in India, and the Chinese embassy asked the Indian TV station to stop the report. Now, this again, you know, infuriated <laughs> the TV station. Now, tell us why the Chinese embassies know their threats against local media or local government officials do not work. They still insist on bullying other countries. Well, I, as we say, uh, when you are paying something, uh, you uh, you know you pass the uh, credit card. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you show the credit card that then you are existing, <laughs> and uh, uh, once again, uh, I don't believe that the Chinese uh, uh, diplomats they don't know what kind of uh, behaviors uh, will lose uh, their face. But unfortunately, uh, in order to uh, report to Beijing, to their Minister of Foreign Affairs, by saying, yeah, we are working, we are doing this and that, to gain the, the, uh, the, the so-called encouragement from their superior. But actually, uh, they know such things will uh, lose face. But anyway, they have to do that. That's because their systems uh, are not like uh, we do have in Taiwan or in other countries. They have different uh, kind of interpretation. This was why when I was in Geneva and when I was even in The Hague, well, we see that their promise, well, especially just an example which cares everybody, uh, the uh, High Commission of Human Rights, what they are talking about, lying publicly, and then they insist to do that. That's because their mission entrusted by Beijing is, uh, you know, you just uh, follow what I give you to do. So don't worry about the others. Don't care about uh, such uh, performance of will lose the face of China. So we do hope that the uh, diplomacy protocol should be respected by each country in the world. Right. It, is, uh, <laughs> it is universal value. Yes. They say universal value uh, means uh, you know, democracy, uh, freedom of expression, and the respect of human rights. And then such protocol accepted, uh, shared, uh, respected by all the diplomats in the, in the world. We've been joined on the phone today by a seasoned diplomat, Ambassador Michelle Lu Qinglong. Ambassador Lu is also the Director of Association of Foreign Relations. And that wraps up this week's On The Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening to us next week. Take Goodbye.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.